0: And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, thanks for today. We do give you thanks and praise and deep just gratefulness, gratitude in our hearts for all that you have seen us through this past year. And Lord, we thank you in advance by faith in all that you will see us through in the next year because you do not leave or forsake your people. Lord, you've never failed us. (laughs) You've just never, ever, ever, ever failed us. Um, Lord, you know... Our unbelief that we struggle with at times and, uh, Lord, moments where we feel like you've abandoned us. But, Lord, again and again and again and again, you have always been faithful. And, Lord, I pray that your great faithfulness, Lord, would be the rock upon which we stand this morning. We pray that, Lord, I, I pray especially, Lord, for those who have hearts this morning that are in turmoil, that are not at peace and but they feel uh, in their soul like the wind and waves are about to wash over them, and like the disciples in the boat, they feel like they are about to die. Lord, would you just stand up this morning, and with the authority of your word and the power of your spirit, would you just command the wind and the waves to be still? Um, and would you show yourself strong? We thank you that you act on behalf of those who fear you and who look to you. You always have and you always will. And again, Lord, we thank you for your great faithfulness, and it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Good morning. You can have a seat. If you've got your Bibles, grab them. Go to Romans chapter 16. Last three verses as so we come to the end of this book. And again, by God's grace, I've been walking through it in 2023. Thankful for all that we've, uh, we've walked through together through this book. Amen. It's been good. through Jesus Christ, amen. Let's pray one more time. Father, please help us this morning. Great, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Help us to see wonderful things from your word this morning as we trust that you will open the eyes of our heart by your grace, and it's your name that I pray, amen. Um, Did you guys ever... Play that game at maybe a Christmas get-together or gathering where it's kind of a game and yet kind of a time of opening gifts where maybe you have, it, have like a bunch of small little gifts or many times some gifts, gift cards and they're wrapped together in scotch tape. Has anybody done that? How many people have been annoyed by that, yeah? And then sometimes, like, you have to wear, like, mittens or gloves. For those of you that have never experienced this, you're probably like, what's he talking about? But there's a thing, I guess, that some, that some people do. That it's like you take some little gifts and whatever, and you wrap them in scotch tape, and then you, you know, kind of pass it around, and there's usually, like, a timer, and you try to, you know, unravel as much as you can in the time that you're allowed to have it, and then, you know, kind of pull out of it whatever gifts you can, and then you have to pass it on to the next person. Um... Uh, it's fun, but also somewhat annoying, uh, all at the same time. Um, I, <laughs> I mean this in the the best possible way, but I felt like this passage is a little bit like that game. <laughs> it um, it has some some sticky statements in it. It but there are beautiful, beautiful gifts of God's grace, all bound up in some in a tight little ball of some sticky language here, as we come to the end. Uh, of this glorious book, and um, just so thankful for the gifts that are in it and those that 's what I want to uh, look at obviously this morning before we get into what it actually is, and kind of by god 's grace hopefully unravel these gifts that are here that are gifts that we need they're gifts that we need very desperately um, before we talk about uh, what it says, I just want to Take a moment and pause and look at what it is, what it is, and what what this is, this last little closing section of the book of Romans, these last three verses, is it is both a benediction and a doxology. Now sometimes those terms are used interchangeably, but but technically speaking, there there are two different things. A benediction, um, it comes from some Latin root words, but the word benediction just simply means an expression of good wishes or an utterance of blessing upon a people. And you see that here, is that Paul, as he comes to the end of this book, he is uttering a blessing. There's there's grace gifts here um, upon this people. At the same time, it is a doxology. The word doxology comes from the Greek word doxa. Um, If you look at verse 27, it says, to the only wise God be glory. That's literally the word doxa in Greek, to the only wise God be, be doxa. And doxology is just an expression of praise to God. And so it is both together, this utterance of blessing upon the people, but it is also simultaneously this expression of praise to God. And what I want to look at this morning, <coughs> excuse me, as we go through this, the primary point is how God exalts his glory by giving strength to his people. How God exalts his glory by giving strength uh, to his people. Um, and these two things. These two things work together. Um, you know, children opening opening up gifts. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. For those of you with real little kids, and we've got a lot of little kids here at Mercy Hill, but have you ever seen the kid that their parent gets them something very nice, but they are more concerned with the box and the wrapping paper afterwards, right? And so they open this up and then they set aside the nice expensive gift, and they just begin to, you know, play with the box or the wrapping paper. Um, That's cute, and we are okay with that when it's with children, but not so with adults. It would actually be offensive. If I would get Hannah a really nice piece of jewelry or something and have it all wrapped up, and then if she would just kind of toss it aside and go, oh, look at the little box. I mean, that would be, be she's never done that, just to be clear. She never would, but, um, but it, would, it would be offensive. Well, well in, in the same way, um, we sometimes, in our immaturity, we tend to toss aside what is actually glorious and beautiful and valuable, and that is the very glory of God. And we tend to be more concerned with the trappings of the Christian life the 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 blessings that that are there that it's wrapped in and it's beautiful and it's nice but um but what God expects of us uh as his people is to know what's truly valuable and what's truly valuable is the glory of God and God is glorified he exalts his glory by giving good gifts that give strength to his people And that's what this is primarily about this morning. So hopefully as we go through this, you'll see as we kind of unravel some of this sticky language, how it all works together. But the primary thing I want to look at is how, how God gives strength to his people and thus gets the glory for himself that he so rightly deserves. And so just kind of three movements through it. We'll talk about the source of our strength, the means of our strength, and the point of our strength. First of all, the source of our strength. Look at verse 25. The source of our strength is God himself. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you. Now, you don't quite see it in the English, but there's something very, very important here that Paul absolutely uh, wants us to get. There's, it's actually a very strange little phrase, now to him who is able to strengthen you, because there's two verbs. There's two verbs. We see one of them in English. It's strengthen. God is going to strengthen us. That's what he wants to do. And the idea of strengthening, it means to establish, that we might stand firm, that we we're not going to be moved, that we're not going to go anywhere when things get hard. Why? Because God gives us strength. But the other verb here that's kind of hidden in the English is this little phrase, who is able? Who is able? And it's actually the Greek word dunamis. It's the same word that was used back in chapter 1, verse 16, if you remember when we were there almost a year ago, that really was kind of the thesis verse for the entire book, all that we looked at, where it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, the dunamis of God. For salvation for all who believe. It's the same word here. That little phrase, who is able, it's the Greek word dunamis. And so the powerful God is the one who strengthens us. The point here being is that the source of our strength is God himself. And this is really, 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 really good news, amen? Because there is no one more powerful than God. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. As we looked at last week in our Christmas service at Isaiah chapter 6, he is seated on his throne, high and lifted up. All the angels crowd, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This is the one who strengthens us. And there's several things going on here just by way of observation to kind of meditate upon. First of all, don't miss the good news bursting from the very beginning of this passage is that the holy God who has all strength uses that strength to make his people strong. What do we do when we have all strength? When human beings have all strength, they abuse that strength. Political leaders leverage their strength to hurt others, sometimes even within their own party. People that have physical strength use it to sometimes abuse others. Those with intellectual strength use it to cheat or to manipulate those who don't possess that strength. But God uses his strength to make his people strong. Amen? That's awesome. So God is for us, and we need strength because we're not strong. But it isn't just that God graciously chooses to strengthen us with the supply of that strength that is endless, but it's, it's that, that supply of that strength is, is totally infinite because he is endless. And again, I think that we blow by this a lot of times. Sometimes we throw around words like omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence and God is eternal and he's infinite, but just stop for a second and think about what that actually means. Is that everything that we know on this broken planet, it has a beginning and it has an end. <laughs> It does not last forever. As Alan testified and gave us that word just a little bit ago, guys, life is coming to an end here. You are going to die. We know that it's coming for every one of us. We all nod our heads and go, yes, but we don't always respond and live in light of it. We don't always do what the Bible commands us that we're to have a heart of wisdom to number our days, knowing that it's coming to an end. But God is infinite, He is eternal. And the reason this is good news that the eternal God not only chooses to give us strength, but that it is an infinite God that is giving us strength, is that there is no end to the supply of the strength that he can give to us, right? When he pours out his strength, when he pours out his mercies that are new every morning, it's not like there's a massive holding tank, and I'm sure, and I actually think this is probably wh- how we think of it sometimes, it's like we know God's got a lot. Like he's got a lot more strength. He's got a lot more power than the average person. But it's just a really, really, really big tank. And as he pours it out, and especially as we continue to sin and as we continue to struggle, that, that supply of his strength, that supply of his mercy, that supply of his grace, it just begins to go down a little bit. And yeah, there's probably some left, but he's used it already on me. Brothers and sisters, there is no end to the supply of his strength for his people. Okay, well, Niagara Falls is incredible to me. Um, it, it, it few statistics on this. Uh, I had to Google this this past week. Praise God for Google. Three thousand one hundred and sixty tons tons of water flow over the falls every second it is somewhere between 700 and 800 thousand gallons over the falls every second it hits the base of the falls every second with a force of 280 tons hitting the base and it just doesn't stop but did you know fun facts with eric this morning um Did you know that in the past 200 years, Niagara Falls has dried up twice? Uh, One time was man-made in 1969, for your information. Uh, They briefly created a dam just on the American side, not the Canadian side, Uh, because they wanted to study some of the rock formations or whatever, but then they realized that Their dam wasn't going to hold very long, and that that wasn't a very good idea, and so uh, they opened it back up. The other time was on March 30th, 1848, uh, is that it got so cold that um, upriver some massive ice chunks fell off and temporarily created uh, a natural dam. And the point here this morning is not that God is like Niagara continually pouring out, but God is the one who created Niagara, (laughs) Even Niagara, once by man's strength, is temporarily blocked. Once by nature's strength, temporarily blocked. But God's strength is never blocked. Amen? Never. It continually flows out. It is infinite. And people go to Niagara to just simply watch this display of power, this whatever it is, 3,160 tons falling over every second. They'll go on the observation deck and just watch it. But it's too much for them to swim in or to stick a cup under or to jump in and cool themselves down by taking a dip on a hot summer day. But God, in his infinite strength that can never be stopped, dear friends, he actually invites us To experience it. Try to wrap your hearts and minds around this this morning. That he calls us to experience his strength. He doesn't just want us to stand on the observation deck and observe his strength as glorious as it is. But he wants us to experience his strength by the power of the Holy Spirit and the promises of his word. I'm convinced that all of our problems as Christians come back to this fact that we have unbelief in our hearts. And while we may acknowledge the power is there, and maybe even we acknowledge that, yeah, it's not just a big holding tank, but it's infinite. But here's what I think we we believe, the lie that I think we believe. We always believe it's just for somebody else. Just for others. The Billy Grahams, you know, the, the big wigs. But God's strength, his power, is for all of his people. And Paul is speaking this utterance, this benediction over the church in Rome 2,000 years ago. And by the grace of God, these same promises are ours to claim 2,000 years later this morning for us as well. Let me just, I'm gonna let the word just preach this morning a little bit. If that's all right, I'm gonna jump around. But in Ephesians chapter three, Paul prays this, it's the same idea for the Ephesian church, not just for the Roman church as he ends the letter here. But in Ephesians chapter three, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. And he's not even done there. The next verse says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 40, which Anthony read this morning, Anthony, trying to steal my thunder, man, you're reading my verse. Um, I'm just kidding, that was good. But let me just read a little bit more around that, and we'll get to the verse that Anthony read here towards the end of this chapter. Um, and again, just, just, just listen, because what this is, in Isaiah, it, it's, it's, it's an oracle, A God is speaking through Isaiah, and Isaiah is standing up here recording this very much as a mouthpiece of God in this moment, but it's God talking directly through the people, or I'm I'm sorry, through, through his prophet to the people. And here's what God says. He says, "'Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, "'Behold your God.'" Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? The power of Niagara? Ha! God just scooped that out with the hollow of his hand. And he marked off the heavens with a span. He enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed in the mountains, in the scales, in the hills, in a balance. A few verses later down in Isaiah 40 verse 21, he says, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants, this is you and I, are like grasshoppers. That should be offensive to you, but um, it's true. It's what the Bible says, so we embrace it. We're like grasshoppers. It says, Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and who spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. All the power that we think is in the White House, all the power that we think is in the Pentagon, all the power that we think is in the Kremlin, all the power that we think is wherever, it ain't nothing compared to the power of God. But God's not done. He goes on, verse 25, To whom then will you compare me? (laughs) That I should be like him, says the Holy One, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created all these things. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one of them is missing. And here's the exhortation to the people of Israel. And it's the same thing I want us to get this morning. Verse 27 says, he says, why do you say, O Jacob? And why do you speak, O Israel, saying this? My way is hidden from the Lord. And my right is disregarded by my God. How many of us live here? Dear friends, let's not live here anymore in 2024. God loves you as much as he loves anybody. He displayed this by sending his son. If you have trusted in him, his strength, his right arm, the same hand that hallowed out all the waters over the face of the earth, that same hand upholds you. The problem is not in the flow of strength. The problem is in the faith of God's people. And we need to repent of our unbelief. This is the exact message that Isaiah was proclaiming here. It's the same thing that Paul has in mind as he closes out this letter. Almost done with Isaiah here, though, but I'm going to finish out this letter. I'm sorry, finish out this chapter, Isaiah chapter 40. After saying that, he says, there, Here come the verses. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. How many of you this morning feel faint and feel like you have no strength? This is for you. It's for us. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Um, I'm not sure if it was in the translation that you read or not, Anthony, of that last verse. Um, Different English translations translate the word wait or hope different ways. But the ESV there in 31 says, but those who wait upon the Lord. Other English translations say, those who hope in the Lord. And if you read different translations at times, when you see a word like that that's translated differently... It's usually because the the original Hebrew or whatever it's written in, it kind of implies both. And so if you just put those two things together, those who wait upon the Lord and those who hope in the Lord, how do we wait upon the Lord? With hope. What does having hope look like? It means waiting. It means waiting with eager expectation. It means waiting like a little kid on Christmas morning, excited, excited. To open up those presents because we know that it's coming. This is how we wait upon the Lord. And can I make just a, a little suggestion this morning? If you want to, I don't want to. You know, how many of you guys do New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Yeah. Some, oh, nobody. Nobody does New Year's resolutions. That's good. I'm excited that that's. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, can, <laughs> but can I make a suggestion this morning? That perhaps. Um, every single one of us might be better served if we would just take our New Year's resolutions, which none of you have anyway, so it doesn't apply. But if we would just take our New New Year's resolutions and we would just burn them. And instead, make it our resolution that in 2024, in a way that we never had before, I'm going to hope in the Lord. I'm going to wait upon Him. I'm going to wait upon His strength again and again and and again because His mercies are new every single morning. Absolutely glorious. The source of our strength is almighty God himself. But man, we're just getting started here. Now the means of the strength. And by source, I mean the source is God himself. But, but how are we going to get it? You know, if you've got, I don't know, like a little water fountain or whatever, like we have those little water tanks, uh, shout out to uh, uh, Culligan Water. Tracy, you're welcome, um, that, we, that we have at, uh, at the Hub and some of our different places. You know, you press a little button, the water, water comes out. But how, how are you going to get that water unless you have a cup? And the point here is that, that the cup in that scenario, that little illustration, would be the means by which we get it. The source is the water tank. But the means by which we get it is we need that little cup to get it. And, and that's what I mean here when I'm talking about the means of our strength. What, what is kind of the practical little cup That God gives us it's kind of one thing but it's kind of multiple things and you'll see what I mean here as we kind of move through it and this is where I want us to follow the language very closely because Paul this is where he begins to kind of unravel some of these kind of sticky statements in which the gifts are hidden for us to be able to receive this strength here's the first thing that I mean is that the way that this strength comes to us is through the preaching of the gospel that is all about the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is through the preaching of the gospel that is all about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me start from the beginning again. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to. According, so here's how. How will this strength come? According to, no, follow it, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is all about the person and work of Jesus Christ. You can mention mercy, grace, love, forgiveness till you're blue in the face. But if you ain't talking about Jesus, then you ain't preaching the gospel. Because it's all about him. Grace is not just this ethereal thing floating around out there that we go around with and just kind of mystically try to grab onto. It is rooted in a person that came 2,000 years ago, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, declares himself to be Lord, God, King, ruler, commander of everything in the universe, and we bow our knee to him. That is who we worship. And so the grace, the good news, and the strength that we need is found through this message. This is what God... (laughs) Church, this is what we've been talking about for the last year, is that the gospel is not good advice. It is good news. It is not a seven-step template to making life work. It is not good advice. It's not secret information. It's not 12 steps to this or nine steps to that. It is a declaration about the victory of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished when he came to earth 2,000 years ago. Um, and he is absolutely our example, but he is first. He is first. He is first. Our Savior and our substitute. And the sacrifice for our sins, I think I've used this illustration before, but do you guys remember? Do you, how many of you remember the 90s? Anybody? The 90s, man. I was in high school. I tell my boys, my boys are old all the time. They're like, Dad, you're so old. You're so, you're so old. Listen, I'm not arguing that. But one of the things we had going for us in the 90s and, and by And when I say having uh, one of the things that was going for us, I mean really not going for us. I think we were very confused about it in evangelicalism as a whole. But do you remember the WWJD bracelets? Oh, Yeah. And I don't, you know, and it, it wasn't just bracelets, but it's primarily bracelets. WWJD stood for What Would Jesus Do? And I think, I don't know if this was originally the point, but, because, you know, it was on, like, hats and T-shirts and other things as well, too. But some people, you know, they'd wear this little thing around their wrists, and it would, like, remind them. And I think some people would even, like, kind of, like, snap themselves with it. You know, you'd pull it off and, like, remind yourself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? But do you see, friends? Our strength, the strength that we so desperately need and the strength that is offered to us, that strength is not received in the answer to the question, what would Jesus do? The strength that we so desperately need is found in the answer to the question, what did Jesus do? What did he do? What did he do? Now now listen, I'm not just like, "Oh, what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Is, Is there a big difference? My dear friend, it's all the difference in the world it's all the difference in the world. And I really need you to see this. I really need you to see it because I'm going to, let me shoot real straight here for a little bit. I say this humbly. I say this as somebody who's not perfect. I say this as somebody who has fallen into this trap again and and again and again throughout my Christian life and can still fall into this trap when Eric Miller in the flesh tries to live a godly life. Now hear, hear me. When I in the flesh try to live a godly life, you're like, is that a thing? Oh yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. But let me say this, this whole, this whole point that I'm pushing here with not asking first or trying to receive strength from what would Jesus do, but rather meditating upon what did Jesus do, the message of the gospel, here's what I want to say. Church, this is literally, in my opinion, everything that is wrong with Holmes County. This is, every, and let me be even more specific, it's everything that is wrong with East Holmes County. is we get the question wrong. And therefore, you ask ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. And what we're constantly trying to do is conform our lives and say, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do without first having been delighted in, satisfied in, and believing in what he did do? And church, we gotta get it right. We gotta get it right. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Say amen we got to get it right. This is not a peripheral issue. It is the issue. And if you get it wrong, it keeps you simply maybe at best just simply looking at the power of God from the observation deck at at best, but never coming underneath the flow of his mercy and of his strength. It's not about what would Jesus do. It's about what he did do. And notice here specifically, don't miss this, he says it comes through the preaching, through the proclamation of this message. Now this has several applications. One of them, let me just ask this, or or point this out, is why do we do what we do here every Sunday morning? Like, do, do what? I mean literally this right now. That we get together and we sing, we declare, we proclaim what is true about God. And then everybody sits and somebody comes up here, me or somebody else, and we proclaim, we declare what is true from the word of God. Why do we do this? Because this is how God's people receive strength. It is through a proclamation of a message. It's not just about the do's and don'ts and reading the Bible like an instruction manual. As is so many times put forward, this is the instruction manual for life. That is, how many people have ever been inspired to like, you know what, I want to go home and I want to find that instruction manual to that new toy or that new appliance or whatever it is that I got and I just want to read the instruction manual. That's not what this is. It is a declaration of good news about the person in work of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 through 5, Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and with power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but of God. The Apostle Paul, quite literally, not being overly dramatic, with his dying breath, begins the last chapter of the last letter he ever wrote, knowing in that chapter, he says this to Timothy, that he knows he's going to die soon, and he says this to Timothy, who is kind of like the person that he had most discipled throughout the course of his ministry and was leaving him in charge of oversight of several churches. He says this, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure, uh, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And you're like, well, Eric, is this so this is just for like some, a few pastors and teachers then within the church? Absolutely not. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul was speaking about some of the gifts that he's poured out to his church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, But grace was given, listen, to each one of us, to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. He then goes through and he talks about the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. But if you'll jump with me down to verse 15, in that same flow of thought, he says, Rather, each one of you, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Listen, when each part is working properly, now did you get that? Rather, speaking, speaking, speaking. Yes, we want to be doers of the word too, but we first speak the message because it's not about what would Jesus do, it's about what he did. Are you following me? And the point here is that this is for every single one of us, is that if we want to grow in strengthening each other as a body of Christ, then every single one of us has got to be about the business of preaching, speaking, declaring, reminding each other of what is true about us in Christ. This is very important. There's actually a lot to say on this. One more thing here is that preaching is a fitting means of receiving strength from God in the same way that getting a heart transplant is fittingly done by someone else other than the person receiving the new heart. The the place where we need the strength the most imparted is at the deepest part of us, our soul. And this requires that we simply sit at the feet of Christ and let his words do their work. But see, we're all about, well, just tell me what to do, just tell me what to do, and I'll get her done. You ain't gonna get Jack done. Right. Apart from the strength of Almighty God. We are weak, and it's when we acknowledge our weakness in our, in our weakness that he is made strong. Without question, we are called to be people of courage, action, service, and sacrifice, but we receive our strength to do those things by simply being still and knowing that he is God. Um, now Paul takes it even deeper here again as he begins to unravel this kind of sticky, sticky phrase, <laughs> with sticky phrases with beautiful blessings in them. According he says, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings, through the prophetic writings, has been made known. Uh, to all nations, so he talks about a mystery we 've talked about this as we 've gone through the book earlier, but a mystery is simply something that has always been there, but has now but that was somewhat obscured but that has now been uh, excuse me fully revealed in the context here, what Paul uh, most specifically has in mind is the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, as it 's probably more accurately called. Um, he said this all the way back uh, at the beginning of the letter as well in, in Romans chapter one, he says, "Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son. And so the point here is that how do God's people receive strength? Again, follow the, the, the flow of thought, untangle kind of the language here. How do we receive strength? By hearing and receiving again and again the good news message that is all about Jesus, but it's all about Jesus and it's revealed in the Bible. Or as Paul puts it here, in the prophetic writings, um, this is where we find the dynamis power, the dunamis power of God in the scriptures. Now, Paul is specifically emphasizing here the prophetic nature of the scriptures. Um, I cannot believe it's 11 o'clock already. Everybody doing good? You all right? Okay, we're just going to, it's the last one of the year, okay? We're finishing up Romans, get comfy. All right, um, and pray for our children's workers and kids' church. God bless them. Lord, keep, the, keep them under control. Okay. Um, the, Paul was specifically emphasizing here the prophetic nature of the scriptures. There's so much to say here. Again, this is a very concise, sticky statement that holds wonderful gifts. Um, a couple things. Let me let me give a quote here to start off just from Norman Geisler. Um, He says, according to Deuteronomy 18, a prophet was false if he made predictions that were never fulfilled. No unconditional prophecy of the Bible about events to the present day has gone unfulfilled. Hundreds of predictions, some of them given hundreds of years in advance, have been literally fulfilled. Uh, the time, the nature of Christ's birth—that's in Daniel nine, Micah five two, Isaiah seven fourteen—were foretold in the Old Testament, as were dozens of other things about His life, death, and resurrection, uh, such as Isaiah fifty three. Other prophecies have been fulfilled, including the destruction of Edom, prophesied in Obadiah chapter one; the curse of Babylon, Isaiah thirteen; the destruction of Tyre, Ezekiel twenty six; and of Nineveh, Nahum one through three; and the return of Israel to the land, Israel eleven—or I'm sorry, Isaiah eleven eleven. <coughs> um. Other books claim divine inspiration, such as the Quran, uh, the Book of Mormon, parts of the Hindu Vida, but none of those books contains predictive prophecy. As a result, fulfilled prophecy is a strong indication of the unique divine authority of the Bible. That's a lot of what Paul is getting at here. Let me give you just two illustrations quickly. Um, It's a little bit technical. We're going to go down a rabbit hole here, okay? Okay, everybody still good? We're going to go down a rabbit hole, but follow me on this, because it is worth chasing down this rabbit. (coughs) two examples of the bible's prophetic nature that ultimately point to jesus and give god strength or, or and give strength to god's people one of them is in Isaiah chapter 40 through 45. Now, I already read the majority of Isaiah chapter 40 and those wonderful promises and declarations that the Lord is making there. But what's happening in the context of roughly Isaiah about 40 through about 45, 46, is that God is literally just going on a rant, an epic, divinely inspired rant, obviously, through the prophet Isaiah about the foolishness of trusting in idols <laughs> and just how utterly foolish that is. And it's in the, those chapters are filled with just over-the-top sarcasm and God mocking these idols that absolutely have no power. And one of the ways that God um, shows his power as opposed to the, 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 the false power of the, the idols and the false religion and those who believe in those things is he marks out the end from the beginning and he prophesies. He tells things that are going to come true. Now, hang with me. This is a little bit technical. We'll get through it. Listen, Isaiah, Isaiah's ministry was in Israel and he prophesied at times both to the northern and southern kingdom. From about 739 BC till about 681 BC. And he was warning the nation and foretelling their destruction at the hands of Babylon and also of Assyria. However, he also was looking beyond the exiles and captivity to the return of the nation after God had disciplined them. Now, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are about the rebuilding that's going to take place after God brings in the Assyrians and the Babylonians to judge his people. And then Ezra and Nehemiah take place about 150 to 200 years later, and Isaiah also prophesies about that, about how one day God's gonna bring the people back into the land to rebuild. Now, here's what's incredible about that. As you open the book of Ezra, in Ezra, the very first verses of, of Ezra in chapter one, it says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Cyrus is the king of Persia or the Medo-Persian Empire that existed after Assyria, after Babylon. Um, Medo-Persia came in and kind of debunked them and then took over. And this is uh, about 150, 200 years after Isaiah um, prophesied that this restoration was going to happen. And Ezra is actually telling the story. But in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, and in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1, 200 years before Cyrus ever exists or comes on the scene, Isaiah mentions Cyrus, King Cyrus, by name. Are you following me? Isaiah, God's prophet, mentions King Cyrus by name 150 to 200 years before he ever exists and before the Medo-Persian Empire is ever even really a great thing. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28 who says to Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerus- Jerusalem, She shall be built. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1 Thus says the Lord to his anointed, Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him, and to loose the belts of kings to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. Are, are you following what I'm saying? This is the prophetic writings that Paul was talking about at the end of Romans chapter 16. One other example, and just quickly, because we could spend so much time on this, Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22, in unbelievable detail, speaks of the very specific suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. To the point where, in verse 16, I'll just point this out. It says, For dogs encompass me, a band of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. This is a prophecy about Christ on the cross. Listen, a thousand years before he was crucified and 500 years before crucifixion was even a means of execution. Are you following me? This is the power of, Of the prophetic supernatural God who marks out the end from the beginning. And he goes, What what other strength are you concerned about? Dear friends, this would be like prophesying some other nation or or some other ruler by name of another nation that's going to be the world power 200 years from now. In 2224, let's call it. There is no power like God's power. Quickly, in Luke chapter 24, this is exactly what Jesus did to unveil the scriptures to the disciples. Um, he walks with the two guys on the road to Emmaus. They don't know that it's Jesus. Suddenly, their eyes are opened. When he breaks the bread, they realize that it's Jesus, and they say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And the way that he opened the scriptures was back in verse 27. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So this is a massive topic that could consume all our time but the point that Paul was making is that the gospel that is all about Jesus has a prophetic element to it that uniquely imparts strength to God's people. Another way to say it is that the Bible is self-authenticating in its glory it's as Charles Spurgeon said you don't have to defend a lion you just need to let it out of its cage Um, Let me cut some of this out and try to wrap up here the other implication is that there's great privilege in this. And guys, I really want us to get this. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, concerning this salvation, the salvation that you and I have, the prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They were searching and inquiring carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed that they were not serving themselves but you, us. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Church, here's the point. For years, God's people were like children waiting for Christmas morning, for years, for decades, for centuries. Um, they were long looking for pres- at the presents under the tree, maybe trying to get some clues as to what they were, but they were unable to touch them or to fully enjoy them, let alone to open them up, until the hour came 2,000 years ago. And Jesus came. And the Messiah unwrapped all the mystery of the Old Testament prophecies um, and the glorious gift of our salvation that was veiled until just the right time when he was revealed. And here's what I want us to get. Please hear me, and hopefully this has all made sense. I know it's been a lot, but listen. Listen. Dear friends, we got to get this. We have got to stop acting like we're still waiting for Christmas morning to come and start acting like Christmas has come because Jesus has come and we need to begin sharing that truth with unbridled joy. So many Christians are acting like it's still coming. It's still, He came. Do you follow me? He came. 2,000 years ago, victories, it's been declared, it's been won. Yes, we're waiting for the consummation of all things, but the good news message that we need, that the world needs, that saves us and that can save the world, dear friends, we have it. How can we be silent? Imagine having access to a cure for a disease that literally affects, in a terminal way, all of humanity. You not only have the joy of being able to take it for yourself, but you would have the joy of sharing it with the world. And yes, I, I know that they're going to reject it. I know that some are going to push back, but that does not mean that we don't share it. We share it, and we share it at the top of our lungs. And there can, Mercy Hill, there can be no other response to going through the book of Romans other than this. And just know this, I, oh, I, I, got, I know i got to wrap up, but Listen, dear friends, this is the honest and goodness truth. Every time the Word of God is proclaimed, you either receive it with a soft heart or your heart gets hardened. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And I guarantee you this, and I'm not playing games, is if we have sat under the book of Romans for the last year, if we're not going to get up and live differently and share this good news message with the joy of a little kid on Christmas morning who's finally opened up the greatest gift in the world, then know this, that God will judge us. And our hearts will become hard. He's not about just playing church. He's not about just playing religious games. There's people that are dying, and there's a lost world that needs this message. And if we have studied this for an entire year and are not willing to get up and to go wherever he wants us to go, and not necessarily across the world, but maybe, but at least across the street, then God help us. Can I get an amen? I'm not playing, and neither is the word of God. Okay, you know I love you, right? Um... One last little point. I promise this one will be short. Here's the point of our strength. Just look at the text. It says, This came about through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God Here's the point, to bring about the obedience of faith, obedience of faith, obedience of faith. It is an important little phrase. Paul used it back at the beginning, Uh, again, in Romans chapter 6, verse. uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, at the very beginning of the letter, verse 5, he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith. What does the obedience uh, of faith mean? Well, it's the idea that without faith, it's impossible to please him. Here's what the obedience of faith means, okay? People say it means a lot of different things. Here it is, in a nutshell. It's this faith in Christ is our obedience, and our faith in Christ fuels obedience. Faith in Christ is obedience. In other words, you have to believe in Him in order to obey. There's no other way. Our faith in Christ is obedience, and our faith in Christ fuels or produces outward obedience. In our lives, This is what the gospel calls us to. This is how our God is glorified. He is glorified by us looking away from self and to him. Faith is not meritorious. It is not a, a, it's simply a transaction where we give to God this invisible thing called our faith. And he goes, ah, that's what I was looking for. Now I've got what you want. Here you go. Here's this thing called salvation as if it's a, some sort of commodity to be bartered for. And faith is the currency that he accepts. No, no. Faith is complete abandonment of thinking that we have anything to offer him. And it is looking away from self and to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that he might save us by display of his power and therefore be glorified. And notice the phrase, to bring about the obedience of faith, verse 27, to the only wise God be the glory. We get strength, God gets glory. It's all in His wisdom, and here's why: because we get everything that we need. But there will be no boasting, no boasting, no boasting, no boasting. Um, God's good, Amen. It's been good this year. Let's go through this book. Um, Thursday, you know, the boys are off school this week, and you know, all everybody's schedules a little bit helter skelter. We were going to, you know, we went to Columbus yesterday as a family, did some shopping, ate at the Cheesecake Factory. Praise God for the Cheesecake Factory. Um, it was good. So I was trying to finish up early. I never get my sermons done this early, but I was really trying to finish up Thursday and Thursday afternoon. I So I was just going through this, finishing up. I just, I, I wish, you know, I honestly pray this. I, I prayed this last night. Um, there's moments in my office, and please hear me, I, I'm not trying to sound weird or mystical but because most of the week in sermon prep is just a grind and I'm just writing and taking notes and circling things and trying to understand the treasure that's inside it but there are moments in my office where I I literally just pray I say God please please help me to communicate this in a way where they believe it and feel it as much as I do right now on Thursday afternoon as I was kind of wrapping up the sermon prep I just Pushed away from my desk and, and I literally just began to sing out loud a song that, a chorus to a song that we 've sung before, All glory be to Christ and it says, All glory be
1: to Christ, our king, all glory be to Christ, His rule and reign will ever sing. all glory be to Christ
0: because I was just so moved by everything that was here and just his faithfulness over the last year of going through this book and uh, and so then I, I uh, I wondered where that song came from, and it sounds like a hymn. And so I began to Google it and look it up, because I, I thought it was an old hymn that had been redone a little bit or something. But here, come to find out, and I thought this was a little bit ironic, but yet fitting, is that it's not an old hymn. It was actually originally written in 2011. In 2011, by a guy named Dustin Kensrue. But the reason it sounds like a hymn is because it's put to this old tune of this old song. And I don't. I'm sure. Most of you probably haven't heard of this, but has anybody ever heard of the Alt Lang Syne? Oh, you have? Oh, oh, look at you. Nobody has New Year's resolutions, but everybody knows of the Alt Lang Syne? What? Whatever. Okay. <laughs> I, I'd never heard of it. I, but it's it's kind of this, historically, it's this old kind of Scottish um, folk song that was sung in the pubs. No comment on that for why you guys don't know that. Um, at the end of the year, <laughs> at the end of the year, and and it literally translates translates the alt Lang sign translates old long since, and it's just this hymn about, or not a hymn, but just this folk song about you know the years past and things coming to an end, and throughout history, it's also kind of been sung at you know different funerals or endings, endings and beginnings, things like that. But Dustin Crensu in two thousand eleven took that little tune and put new words to it. And I just, as we came to the end of this book, sitting in my office Thursday, I just began to sing it again. I didn't know it. I actually then, in retrospect, went and looked it up and was curious about it and found out that it's, uh, yeah, that's where it came from. It was often sung on New Year's Eve. And it's New Year's Eve. Ta-da! And so it's fitting in that sense, but it's also fitting because of, again, what this is. It is a benediction, but it is also a doxology, giving glory to God. And so I believe we've got these words on the screen. As we sing it, we're just going to sing it a cappella. I would like you to stand. Please stand. And worship team, you can come up, and then they're going to lead us in another song. After this, but let's just take a deep breath and just sing this to God's glory with thankful hearts for all that he has done
1: and all that he's going to continue to do. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. Let's sing. All glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. His will be done, His kingdom come on earth as is above. Who is Himself our daily bread, praise Him, the Lord of love. Let living water satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness yet all glory be to Christ. One more time. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ.
0: Yes, Lord. Glorify your name, Father. Please glorify your name. Thank you for another year. Oh God, please help us to be faithful in 2024. Not in our own strength, but in yours. It's in Christ's name that I pray, amen.